You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Working mothers like me had a really hard time during the pandemic. They worked, they took care of the kids, they took care of their homes, and they got a lot less sleep. It was untenable. Moms working during the pandemic reported higher rates of anxiety, depression, and loneliness than their male partners. And a lot of women quit their jobs last year. Three million women left the workforce, and more than half of them haven't come back. I recently wrote a piece about this for Recode and spoke with Jessica Calarco, a sociologist at Indiana University. She's joining us today. Hey, Jessica. Hi, thanks for having me. So... We know that working moms were hit hard by the pandemic. What all were they contending with? So the pandemic essentially came along and ripped a giant hole through what little safety net we do have in the U.S. to support families and and mothers in particular. Women we know already do the work of the social safety net here in the U.S. and really this just destroyed what little support they had left. And essentially that hole in the social safety net left even more work for women to do. When schools and child care centers closed, moms took on a disproportionate share of the parenting, even when they were also working for pay. And my co-authors and I looked at sort of how couples are making sense of these arrangements. And we found that couples often relied on mothers by default without even discussing it. And we found that couples were able to to justify those inequalities. Essentially, they treated them as both practical and natural solutions to this problem at hand. And that reflected the fact that there are these longstanding cultural and structural inequalities because of longstanding gender pay gaps, for example, uh, which stem from our lack of paid maternity leave and our lack of affordable child care in the U.S., fathers typically earn more than mothers in the same household. And, and that made it seem practical for many couples to sacrifice mothers' jobs during the pandemic. As one dad told us, he said, quote, we never really relied on her money anyway. And it just gets at this idea. Oof. Yeah, I know that one really hit me. And it just gets at this idea that, that for couples, mothers' incomes, uh, their well-being, their health was just put second to all of the other concerns. And because they've been doing so much of the extra work for so long, and yet at the same time, they were the ones who seemed most easily sacrificed uh, in the face of the pandemic challenges. But you argue that instead of leaning on those kind of justifications, couples should be making this decision through something called active negotiation. What is that and how does it work? I mean, I think, so essentially we know that when couples actively talk about their arrangements in their households, uh, when they talk about who's doing what, when they lay on the table, okay, what are all the things that we have to do? It's a lot harder to sweep the inequalities under the rug, to pretend like everything is equal and everyone is doing the same um, because it's never talked about. And a lot of the work that women do in particular um, in those kinds of arrangements, when women are just the sort of default parent or the default caregiver, um, that that allows them to get away with doing 
a much larger share of the work. And it allows dads in some cases or male partners to feel like they're doing just as much because maybe they have a handful of chores or a handful of tasks that they're also responsible for. Um, but if it's, all the cards aren't on the table, essentially, then it's a lot harder to know whether or not that arrangement is actually equal. And, and certainly it can create conflict for couples to talk about those arrangements. And that's part of why many couples shy away from it because they don't want to argue. They, that's already There's already enough stress going on in their lives. Um, but without those kinds of discussions, it's very easy for, for women to essentially be gaslit into being told, no, we're, we're doing this equally, um, when in reality they're doing so much more. Do you want to describe the sort of tension between these two norms? There's the norm of the ideal parent and the ideal worker, both of which sort of play against women. Sure. So mothers in the U.S., and especially the kinds of mothers who are maybe middle or upper middle class mothers who work in sort of elite professional jobs, are often caught between two competing norms. On the one hand, there's the ideal worker norm that tells moms that they should devote all their time and energy to their careers. But at the same time, there's the ideal motherhood norm, which tells mothers to give that same time and energy to their kids. Now, obviously, there are only so many hours in a day, and moms can't simultaneously prioritize both their kids and their careers while also maintaining their own physical and mental health and well-being and, and all the other things. And so something has to give. And so essentially, that puts women in an untenable situation where these two norms, especially during the pandemic, have pulled further and further apart. There's more and more being put on workers. Most organizations did not hire extra workers during the pandemic to offload some of the extra work created by the pandemic. Instead, they pushed workers out of the workforce and relied on fewer to do oftentimes one and a half or two times the amount of work in many cases. And simultaneously, the closure of schools and childcare centers put more on mothers and meant that they had to do more at home. And so we have these sort of amplification of these two different norms, stretching women thinner and thinner and forcing them to make hard choices between essentially prioritizing their careers or prioritizing their kids at home. And, and that's made it impossible for many women to do both, especially for the long term. So essentially with the two norms, it's this like contradictory idea where you're expected to do two things too much at the same time and, and it's impossible. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. That's the pressure that women are facing. And that's part of why so many of the women that my team and I interviewed during the pandemic have been staying up past midnight or waking up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning to work for two or three hours before their kids get up for the day or after they go to bed. Because essentially that's the only way they have to literally make extra time in the day in order to meet both of these competing demands. Got it. Got to put more hours in the day. I'll write that in the, the solutions part of this. So where do these two ideals come from? I'm just fascinated by this idea of the ideal worker and the, the ideal parent. They didn't come out of nowhere. How did they form? Sure. I mean, so the ideal worker norm is a direct product of the capitalistic pressures uh, that we have in our society. In, in a capitalistic system, the profits are made by exploiting workers, quite literally. You have to pay the worker less than the value of what they produce. Um, and so that means that employers have an interest in pushing workers to do as much labor as possible for as little as they are willing to take and pay. And especially over time, that, that kind of has created this amplification of pressures toward, um, as workers have gotten higher salaries, pressure to do even more and more, uh, especially at that sort of elite end of the spectrum where you may have folks working 50 or 60 hours a week, doing essentially more than one job and feeling the pressure to do that to justify the kinds of, of salaries that they do earn. And in terms of ideal motherhood norms, I mean, I would argue that a lot of this comes out of the sort of mommy wars of the 1990s. That was sort of when we reached the height of women's employment, um, that they, after the 1960s and 70s and through the 80s, where we had growing numbers of women entering the workforce, 
there was a backlash against that, in part because of how women were increasingly able to compete with men. We saw women getting higher rates of college degrees and, and even advanced degrees beyond the bachelors. Um, and that allowed women to have more power in the workforce. And at the same time, that's threatening uh, to the men who've long held power in those kinds of spheres. And so a cultural movement to tell women that really their place is at home and that they're doing their kids a disservice and that they may be damaging their kids' futures if they spend too much time on their careers is a powerful um, sort of cultural or personal tool uh, to use against women to tell them to de-invest in their careers and to leave that sort of space and that sort of power for men. So to recap, these norms are stacked against working moms. They're asked to do the impossible and they know it's impossible, but they still feel guilty about not being able to do everything. Is that right? Yes. And the problem with norms is that they make people feel guilty for breaking them. Uh, And during the pandemic, even when mothers needed more help than usual when they could have used extra support from their partners or from uh, child care centers or from paid caregivers or from a grandparent, they often felt too guilty to ask. And that kind of guilt we found also made mothers feel selfish when they did choose to send their children back to in-person school or child care and also discouraged many of them from doing so even when they had that chance. So beyond adding more hours today, what are the structural solutions for this? I mean, I think we have to address some of the underlying longstanding structural inequalities that that put us in this place in the first place. Uh, Essentially, things like the gender pay gap in wages, which is a function of our lack of paid maternity leave and our lack of affordable childcare, which disproportionately pushes women out of the workforce when they have children or into part-time or lower-paying jobs that oftentimes have fewer hours to be more amenable to, to meeting children's needs. And that sort of pushes women off the career track in the first place and then created these conditions where it was easy to, to sacrifice women's careers during the pandemic. So that's a key piece of it, is putting in place the kinds of protections, things like affordable childcare and paid maternity leave, paid sick leave, uh, health insurance um, that allow families to, to have a sense of stability and security uh, that especially women need to be able to, to engage in the workforce and remain engaged and, and more easily navigate and manage the challenges of, of motherhood with the challenges of working full time. Okay, so those are the structural things that need to change. But what about the cultural um, institutions? What gives you hope that those would change? I mean, culture is sticky and and norms are difficult to change. And that's part of why I think actually the structural becomes most important because without the structural change, unless we change the conditions that make it seem practical for couples to rely on mothers by default, it's unlikely that the cultural norms will change. It's a lot harder to just tell people uh, to change their behavior um, if they don't have the conditions that make it possible. So some dads, for example, continued working outside the home full-time during the pandemic while their wives were able to work from home. And those were disproportionately couples in our study where moms had higher levels of education than their partners. Maybe mom had a bachelor's degree and so she was working at an office job and she was able to work from home where dad maybe only had a high school education and was working in construction. And so just Telling that dad, do more with your kid at home, you should be doing an equal share with your wife, you're both working full time, isn't going to do much because he has to leave the house to do his work, whereas his wife was able to work from home and found herself caring for all of their kids simultaneously while also doing her job. And so unless we create the conditions where we don't have huge gendered and racialized and classed inequalities in who does what jobs, and until we have a more equal playing field um, for, for men and women in the workforce and in their families, it seems unlikely that just sort of changing the culture alone will be enough to, to make that kind of necessary change. Thank you so much for your research on this and all your help with my article. Oh, gosh, thank you for inviting me. It's, it's a pleasure to talk with you. And the article turned out wonderfully. 
I'm Ronnie Mola, and this is Recode Daily. This episode was produced by Sophie Lalonde and engineered by Paul Mounsey. Don't forget to check out our show notes for links to my story and Jessica's research.